Hello, it's me. This is Fat and Black from Texas, and I am your hostess, Nikki Devon. Um, Today's episode is going to be a little bit longer than normal, and due to social distancing, um, the sound might be a little bit glitchy. Um, Today, I'm going to be sitting down with my good friends, Jared and Dewan. And because of the current climate in the U.S., I feel like it was important to sit down with two Black men and have a candid conversation about being Black in America. And what better men than two of my absolute favorites who I always think about and worry about in times like this. Okay, let's start the show. Dewan and Jared, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, so I'm going to um, give you guys an opportunity to tell people that are listening a little bit about yourself. Uh, Jared, why don't you go first? Um, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Jared. I am 34 years old. Um, I've lived everywhere, but I claim uh, Twin Cities as my original home. And I am a physical therapist currently. My name is Dewan Lewis. Uh, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm an athletic trainer. I've been a high school in Austin. So the thing that I want to talk about, first of all, basically, so um, Dewan, you're you're from St. Louis, and um, Jared, you are from the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about, like, you know, I was born and raised in Texas, so I have a very, very skewed and specific view of racism and police brutality and blah 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 but i but i live in austin so the amount of things that happen i feel like are lower than in larger cities so what i wanted to start off with off like off top like out of the gate is just talk a little bit about how you're feeling right now about what is happening right now um and how it pertains to your personal life and how you grew up. So whoever wants to go first. Uh, This weekend, I'm feeling a lot better. Um, The beginning of the week and um, last weekend was pretty tough for me. I don't, um, I come historically from a lot of suppressed emotions. That's just the way I was raised. And, um, you know, they, they just kind of lashed out. I mean, it was a lot for me. It was a lot because it was visual. It was a lot because it was a black man and it was a lot because it was literally my home. And, um, you know, it was a lot of emotions seeing, you know, buildings burning to the ground, um, you know, stores being looted or wrecked. Um, you know, I, I grew up in this place. I didn't grow up specifically in Minneapolis, but I've definitely seen that area before what it currently looks like or before it was damaged. So it just was a lot to see my home kind of going through that, but also just the fact that, you know, the shit keeps happening. You know, Minnesota doesn't have a bad track record per se when it comes to politics. I always brag that we go blue. You know, we were one of the few states that went for Hillary which is not much to boast about, but I mean, you know, when you when you live in Republican or conservative areas, it, it does kind of help when your friends start to talk noise about how cool, uncool Minnesota is, but um, it hurt. Um, you know, I lost a lot of 
what I assumed were friends, you know, and it's just that realization that you're 35 and you're not five to 10 to 12 anymore. And some of these people have developed ideologies of either they're going to suppress their thoughts or they're going to be bigots where, um, you know, they're going to be people that um, deny that anything's going on and that the looting is the problem. So I've had to readjust my my friend set and things like that. But I mean, it's it's also been just a real emotional time because COVID is still alive and unfortunately life is still going. And, you know, I've, I've had very close friends lose their parents and I'm personally losing my grandfather right now. So um, it's just a lot of emotion going on. And um, it's, you know, I haven't been crying or anything like that, but I, I'm actually searching my feelings, which is very new for me. Yeah, definitely. Duan, what about you? Similar to Jared, like, I just feel like most of all angry and pissed. That, that we still have to witness things like this. I mean, unlike Minnesota, like this already happened in St. Louis, so they already went to the, to the point of like looting and doing riots and they still haven't changed. Like it's sad to see something like this reoccurring, like somewhere we're supposed to call home and feel like we're safe. Uh, but like, I think it hurts the most to think like, like bringing kids into the situation or like us raising our own kids and bringing them to a situation and have to explain that to them. Like, explain that, like, you have to just, like, I guess, better words to put it, just be on edge like, the, the things that you say and, like, you can't act like you normally act you in certain spots. Um, and then, like, once again, being, working in a high school, you, you have to explain to them, like, different cultures and the way to approach people. Um, and then just social media is just like it's like overwhelming right now like with with so much negativity in this i don't know like the the best thing i can do i think like this last couple of weeks would just go kind of like listen to sermons like pray about it and friends that or people that i think that my situation to educate them and help the world like no we're not going to change the whole world but if we change the area that we're in I feel like that'll be, you know, moving towards a, a better direction than what we're doing. But no, no, it's it's crazy. It's overwhelming. It's exhausting. Like just to keep feeling the same anger and pain. But uh, it's like it's hard to not picture yourself in that situation, especially right. since I'm like I'm six foot, two hundred and twenty pounds. Like I can easily like like be that person because they're just afraid or they might be afraid to like just my size and like I know like I know like there is plenty of good cops out there because I have relatives as cops um, I got friends as cops but we just need more people like them like we need more people that's going to support everybody and not feel threatened about I guess like a certain person or a certain race. I was writing down everything y'all said because I have my own little predetermined questions that I wanted to ask y'all. <laughs> but um, <laughs> then I wrote down some stuff that you wanted to say. So the so the first thing that I wanted to talk about was this idea um, having to explain this to kids, right? So having to explain to little 
black kids okay so here's what your life is going to look like from this point on now i know i have little black boys specifically in my family um dewan i know that you work with youth of color jared i know that you have little black kids in your family um that conversation seems like to me, it always seems like it comes too early. It always seems like, why am I having to have this conversation with my six-year-old, my six-year-old cousin or my seven-year-old cousin? Why am I having to have this conversation with my 11-year-old cousin even? Like if it, it, even that seems too young to me. Um, but I feel like when it comes to a man having that conversation, especially with other little boys, like, does it take you back to the time when that conversation was had with you? Like, I know that y'all's parents had those conversations with you. How, like, how does it feel like it's too early? Does it feel like there's an age that's too early? Or does it feel like you got to start, you just have to start young. As soon as you think they understand, you have to start. You're like, how do y'all feel about that? Do you think that there's an age where it's like, that's too much, it's too soon? Or do you feel like, no, there is like, as soon as they can start understanding and talking, you got to have those conversations. Like, what do y'all think about that? Um, like, I, I, I feel like it all depends on, I wouldn't say like your, like the community that you're in. Cause I feel like when I was in St. Louis, it always wasn't that way. Like, I feel like we actually had a relationship with cops because, you know, back then they used to give you like baseball cards. So we always used to run up to the, like the police cars and like, can we get some baseball cars? And we used to collect them all. Uh, but <clears throat> I mean, with this time, I know it's different. And like I said, I think it, it depends on your community. Like if you live in a more like a reckless community, like that, that might be a thing to have a conversation. I think my dad, my mom tried to have a conversation, but I don't think I really was paying attention to her. But my dad had a conversation uh, with me. I think when I was like 14, just because like, at that time, I was starting to get into a little trouble. But basically, I was saying my dad had the conversation with me about, like, police brutality uh, when I was 14, just because I was getting into more trouble at that age. So he was kind of like, I wasn't necessarily trying to put, like, fear in my heart, but he was just, just trying to get me to get an understanding, like, the things that I'm possibly putting myself into, like, by doing the, you know, the shenanigans. Uh, that I was doing at that age, uh, but I but what I, I was saying before that, I was saying my mom tried to teach me the same thing, but just being hard I wasn't really listening. Um, but I think it's one of those things where it just depends on like, the community that you're in and like the situation that you're around. Like I always think that they should be knowledgeable about the situation, but also don't want. I also want don't want to fear them so much that like. Maybe one day they want to grow up and be a police officer. I don't want to fear them so much that it changed their perception of, of cops or I don't want to get that in them to make them feel like they should be feared by all cops because all of them are not. Like it's easier at that age to just kind of like put everybody in one category and just be like, no, I don't want to do that. So like I feel like I feel like 14 or 15, like high school time will be a better time to do it. I feel like the younger ages maybe not so much, but also, I don't know, like, the way everything is going now, anything could happen, so. Right. Yeah, what about you? I mean, what do you think? Do you think there's an age that's too, that's too young? Um, you know, that's interesting. Um, I, 
I grew up not after I was four, I moved to Minnesota. So the the only culture I really knew were white kids, unless they were kids of my parents' work friends, which became a big community of about 20, 30 families. But um, we didn't live anywhere near each other per se. Um, So all I really knew were, you know, kids that were white. So it wasn't like I had that conversation really early with my parents. Um, I probably had it around 14 or so when I uh, moved to Oklahoma, Tulsa, which was drastically more diverse than where I came from in Minnesota. Um, And I went to a black school. And um, by that around time, around driving, my dad had a, you know, conversation like, you know, you need to do what you're told, make sure this and this is on the car, make sure you're a certain way, make sure you respect. And then my godfather doubled down with it even though he's a little bit more um, rebellious and he would say stuff like, you know, make sure they don't ask you this, make sure you don't give consent to this and stuff like that. Um, that's when I kind of had the talk. Um, but what's interesting is yesterday I spoke to one of my best friends from high school, excuse me. And he told me he had to have a talk with his son and he's seven. And the reason why he had to have the talk with him at seven is because he didn't understand why it was so different from where he went to. He he lived in a suburb that's uh, highly diverse in Oklahoma City. And um, when they, you know, he got a little bit better money, bigger house, they moved out to a place that's still developing. And that's a lot more, less diverse or a lot less diverse and um you know he started with the stuff that i feel like a lot of kids go through when they're not in a diverse population such as people touching your hair um people um you know people kind of looking at you kind of like a relic and i remember that as a kid i always had my hair touched but it was because i didn't have anybody else to kind of equate that with it wasn't something that i didn't know you know i didn't go with several years of my hair not getting touched when i grew it out for me to be like Oh yeah, this is weird touching me like an animal. Um, right. So it was just interesting, and he had to use that example of how he had to tell his son um, at seven of how to appropriately respond based off of cultural differences because of how he's perceived. Um, and then he compared it to his friend who he works with and his son because his son never has to go through that. Um, so unfortunately I don't think age is a thing that is the big thing, um, when that happens. I think your, your environment and, um, you know, like DeWan said, kind of like your timing of when you have to do that. If you're a kid coming into your preteens and teens and you're kind of giving your parents the normal teenager blues, they're going to be like, look, at one point they're going to say it, right? And that's on the late end. Right. Um, if you're early and you're in an unsegregated, you know, not a segregated, if you're in a segregated part of a city or a very, un, you know, lacking diversity place, you're going to get it probably pretty early if you had the experience of that's not normal. Um, and it's unfortunate. I mean, it's just one of those things that um, a lot of kids in America will never go through unless they are a person of color. Um, right. You know, and and I don't only know the black kids' <clears throat> color story. I don't know how Hispanics go through it, but I I mean, before the public lynchings of the last month or so, 
you know, Hispanics were getting the blues. I mean, this is Texas. Right, exactly. So I can only exactly. imagine how bad Mexican kids get it, you know, in Texas. So um, it, it's really, it's just really drastic depending on where you're at. I didn't even think about that. And I should have thought about it because... I mean, I grew up in the South. And so the conversations about race started early for me. The conversations about, you know, because I was sassy as a kid. So, you know, when people would bend down and try to touch my hair, I, I would pop off very quickly, very easily. And mom had to be like, you know, you never know when you're going to be in an unsafe situation. And so if you don't want someone to touch you, all you have to do is say, please don't touch me. there's no need for you to be so aggressive and so combative and so Mm -hmm. as a girl as a girl it was something it was just something as simple as don't be so sassy like watch how you talk to people watch how you talk to white people you never know what kind of white person you're running into and then for my for my boy cousins it was just like the reason that we all had to be home before the street lights came on is because you know that's when you know bad things happen to little black kids in the south you know like (laughs) like you can't you need to be in at inside when those street lights come on because you never know who's roaming the streets looking for trouble right yeah i definitely had that rule only black family and i was the only person that had to be home with the street lights i might have never ever asked where that came from but i definitely tried it maybe once or twice and it wasn't pretty so, I mean, and my mom is, you know, my mom was pretty overprotective. And I mean, pretty overprotective uh, for what I yeah. think is overprotective for the average suburban or, you know, normal kid with some responsibility. But she definitely was like, that street light, you better be inside. So, better be inside. You know, I'd have to ask her on what she would believe if that's why she did that. But I wouldn't be surprised Duan- based on what you just said. Yeah, did you have the did you have the same rule to when you grew up that you had uh, to be in? I mean, I did, but I just had a time that I had to be in. Like my mom just had a like I had a curfew, and she was just like be here before that time. But it wasn't like oh. the street lights because I mean, most of the times I usually played like we never stayed in the house; we stayed in an apartment complex, and I just me and my friends would just play like by the house, so I was always visible to my mom oh. could see me. So it wasn't like a situation where. Or if I, if I wasn't in front of my mom's house, I was in one of my friend's house where their parent can see us or something like that. So, I mean, any situation where, like, if we were off, like, in the neighborhood or something like that, I, I just had to constantly let her know where I'm at. And then if I didn't, that's when I would get in trouble. But it wasn't the streetlight. I made it past that generation. Oh, see, <laughs> you all, I forget you young. Youngster. <laughs> yeah, like, my mom was like, we lived in a, we lived on a, uh just like this big it's like a, a regular neighborhood street on the east side and there was this one huge street light on the end of the like the corner where my house was and it would and it would flicker before it was going out it would <laughs> flicker and, <laughs> and you could hear there was always some kid being like hey the light fix to go out the street light to go out and you could just see us running up from like the creek running from the park right like trying to get our butts back in the house because that was that was just like a whooping off top like if you didn't if you weren't inside by the time that street light flickered off you're getting a whooping like no no questions asked that's just how it now was. when i went to go visit my dad like i had to be home before it was it was like the 
the street lights come on, like when it got dark. My dad is way more strict and old school. My mom was, she was real nonchalant. Yeah, that street light definitely had the butt whooping. Uh, <laughs> definitely had the parole. I called my mom the parole officer. Like Dewan said, you have to, you know, Nikki, you're a girl, so I, I'd imagine you would have had something the same way, but like, you can't go over to somebody's house unless I know the parent. You got to tell me you're going oh, yeah. over there. I need you to be back by this time, or you need to tell me when you're coming back. If you want to go where? I need to know when you're coming. Like, I'm like, dang, you got to check in, check out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. There was no my, there was no going to nobody's house unless my mama knew them first, period. And not only could I not go over to their house, I couldn't, they couldn't come to our house because I, you know, I had a lot of little white friends. And so my mom was like, you're not bringing no little white kid over here until I sit down with their parent and talk to them about how we do things at our house. And I'm like, I, that don't make sense. Like, why, why they got to know what we do at our house? And my mom be like, you're not bringing no little white kid over here. And it was specific to white kid. It was like, we do things different. And I need to talk to their parents and let them know how we do things in my house. And it and it wasn't, I didn't even realize that people were raised differently till that minute. I didn't understand that this wasn't something that all kids, <laughs> maybe like all kids, it's like, no, that's just your mama, just your mama. Just your mama got to know who everybody is, got to go in, got to go in the house. I see if they clean. Right. See if they clean. <laughs> see see they what type clean. of attitude they got. <laughs> <laughs> That, yeah with the app with the twos hold on you can't talk my mama like that <laughs> like for like for real i had to tell several of my friends like no 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 don't don't you can't do that you can't, <laughs> you can't do that <laughs> you can't you're gonna get us all whooped don't do that <laughs> i remember having to explain to my friend what a whooping was once like i just like having to explain to her what that meant like and they were just like your mom hits you with like things i'm like yes and she will hit you too so you need to really watch yourself move from the long arm of the law seriously i mean i feel like it was it was different for me because i didn't really i really wasn't raised around like a lot of white people i was like it was all black people like like we i had white friends just because because of football uh like in high school like sports was probably the only reason but like it wasn't like we didn't like kick it with them for real. Like we kicked it with majority of our black friends. Like I don't, like I was telling, I think I was telling my girlfriend, I was like, I don't even think I had like Hispanic races around. Like, and even if I did, like at that point in my life, I just thought they was black. And like, I wasn't really aware. Like, cause I had one friend, we used to go to his house and play basketball. And his mom would yell at us, it'd be in Spanish. And I just be like, oh, she's just black and no Spanish. Like I wasn't like thinking like, oh, she might just be Puerto Rican or something like that. So, like, I feel like my culture, like, in St. Louis was way different. Like, when I yeah. got out of St. Louis, that's when I became, like, more aware of different cultures and, and like, I guess evolving with, within myself. Because I was just like, you know, if you ain't Black, I can't really trust you for real. But, like, now, of course, it's different. <laughs> I mean, it, and actually, so it, speaking of, I'm going to segue into friends, like Jared, you mentioned that with all of the things happening now, that the conversations that you've had to have, you've lost some friends and I, the same thing has happened to me. I think a lot of that has to do with, because we have so many white friends and um, just having to have, like, I know there are 
warriors. Like some of my friends are just straight up warriors, and I'll put some on the internet, and I'll come back, and they don't attack yeah. anybody. You got, you got a whole army any- of people. You, <laughs> you, have, you have a you have a genre of people who are very progressive. Um, yeah, not only liberal but progressive, and they don't they don't play that shit. Yeah. So I'm like on that end, I'm so lucky that I have these people that exactly they don't play that shit. But there are a few people still in my life. There were a few people still in my life that I just grew up with in a, in rural Texas. And like, you know, before Trump, it was kind of a like, you believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. It's okay. We can coexist. Like, I don't think you have to think the way I think in order for you to be a good person. Right. But now in times like this, especially with the protesting, especially with the rioting, I'm seeing a whole new side of these people that were once my friends. And we're having to have these really, yeah, like, it's not even, a, for me, it's not even agree to disagree. Like, I need you to agree. Because if you don't agree with me, I you are not safe. So it, for me, it's it's a, it's non-negotiable at this point. I'm not negotiating it. And so how have you guys been, I mean, the one has that happened to you, Jared, how have you been navigating that? Like, how have you been navigating letting go of these friendships and drawing that line that, you know, we kind of have to cross at this point. We get, we got to create a line that people have to, you know what I'm saying? How are you navigating? It's just been really unfortunate, you know, um, I just got to the point where I was, and maybe because I've always suppressed my feelings, but I was, I'm pissed. I have, you know, I was very pissed at the Philando Castile thing. Very, very pissed. And I lost some friends behind that. And what I ended up doing was muting them because it was just more so conservative versus liberal type stuff. And I, and I didn't want to fault people I've known my whole life for talking a certain way, though I knew that their rhetoric was racially charged and um Mm -hmm. i literally um this time just drew the line in the sand and um i would probably say that this last week i'm probably very tired as the one said before because i have just been so emotionally vocal my facebook my instagram things that i used to hesitate to because my company does look at it I haven't said anything inappropriate right. like fuck white people because I, that's not what I don't really believe. Um, right. But I, uh, I, I literally take a line stand and I literally just said, hey, you know, if you are silent, and I posted, I said, if you are silent, I'm watching you. And I pretty much right. gave everybody a week to respond. And I, you know, and it wasn't a week, but it was like, four and a half five days after that i started deleting i deleted about 200 people on my social media outlets that whoa um, who refrained to say something uh, most of it came from and i did a thorough research i'm friends with you i can see your wall so i would hit their name i look at their wall are they posting oh they did post this week oh they are posting about the quarantine Oh, they're they're not saying anything. They're not saying that this is terrible. Gone. You know that 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 uh. You know I don't. You know at that point I just denial oh, was not an option. If you had said something and you were talking about the looters, not talking about the fact that it was you know that a man died and it was wrong. Gone. Um, 
and, and it was real easy from that point to separate workers, former co-workers, and friends from Minnesota, because I don't talk to my friends from Minnesota that often. You know, a lot of it's social media. I haven't been back in years. What really troubled me was I went to a high school in North Tulsa, Oklahoma. It is Booker T. Washington. Every major city's got one. Um, it, it was, uh, well, it still is regarded as one of the top, if not the top, educational school in Oklahoma. So it is a top educated, you get all the IBs, the pre-IBs, the dual enrollment people there. Um, and it is a magnet school. Um, the coincidence of that is that school was founded, of course, for black people. And it was all black until 75 when they segregated so, or they desegregated it so white kids had a, a chance to have good education too because black kids had the best education. And even in letting in other people and whatnot, it became, it still had the high standard of education. So when I was there, we started, they said it was around 50-50. And when we left, we could see that it was starting to go 60-40 or something like that to white. And we're slowly losing the amount of black kids that are there. And the, a lot of these black kids live in the neighborhood, right? But we saw a kid that we went to high school with who was who was passing very hateful rhetoric in racial stuff. Um, and uh, of course he was white, but he went to high school with us. And I can one thing one thing I can say is a lot of my high school friends have been the white ones have been really proactively saying they either haven't said nothing or they have been very gung-ho, akin to your friends, Nikki, um, because they just had that experience. They grew up from middle school and went to school with 50% Black kids. There was nothing they could do but play sports, study, groups, mm -hmm. all the stuff that you had to do, teachers, all that stuff. They had this culturing that was so different that the average person in Tulsa had. And Tulsa is very segregated. I, um I believe Dewan kind of educated me back in the day on how segregated St. Louis is, but Tulsa is very segregated. You know, that's where the school is at is the black side of town. That is the poor side of town. They have no grocery stores. So the fact that these white kids had this outlet and this opportunity to learn and, and live with the culture and do all these things. And then they're blatantly racist in their early mid thirties. That is super disappointing. I mean, it was, it, was, it was a slap in the face that I felt no other way. And I um, ended up posting onto one of my other high school classmates saying, like, did you see this? And all these people started going to his page. And I was basically like, we need to go over there and tell him that this is not cool. And, um, you know, smother his voice. But it was very, it was easy for me to let that go because he's obviously racist. But it was very disappointing to see that because he literally had a leg up. This is not Minnesota. We're talking about he didn't grow up with all white people. He literally grew up with half of his friends and half of his people being right. black and his education being black. And he took it and he and he he took it and ran with it, but he's still a bigot. Right. 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 That uh, that astounded me. It, it was very disappointing to, to see that. So you know, like I said, it's, it just came to a point where I drew the line in the sand and I just started rating my 
my thing. You either for me or you're not. Mm-hmm. Period. That's true. I mean, I think I think my situation was a little bit I wouldn't say different because I don't know, like I like I get what you I get where you're coming from. Like that, that I think that's important, like the people that you follow, but I feel like most of the people I follow, like I feel like I wouldn't have to have that deep of a conversation where they one that they won't understand where I'm coming from. Like most of them understand where I'm coming from, but I mean, I did like one of my close college friends. I had to have a conversation with him, and at first, I wasn't going to have a conversation because I know him as a person. I know he'll protect me, like no matter what. Like I know we've been in situations where somebody called me the N word, and he went off quicker than I go off. Right. And I was just like, hold on, <laughs> like you cool, like just chill. <laughs> but like we had a conversation the other day. And he was telling me, like, so I was I was basically saying, like, how do you feel about everything that's going on? And then I was talking about how the world's just kind of crazy right now. And then, like, his response were like, yeah, like, like there's so much killing going on. Like, it, like cops are being killed, blase, blase. But, like, his responses always sound like it was more, like, on the cop side, which, which is nothing wrong with that. Right. But, like, I wanted him to see, like, all right, why am I responding this way and you're responding this way? Exactly. Like, so, so I, I got, I dug deeper into the conversation. Like, and I know for him, like, I wouldn't say uh, it's hard for him to have the conversations, but he did share with me. He's like, he's like, sometimes I, I'm afraid to have the conversation because I don't want people, like, to take what I'm saying, like, like in the misconduct. And I was like, I get that. I was like, but you know me, like we've been friends and such and such. Like if it's something that you don't understand and it's something that you want to get clarification on, you know, you can always come to me and I'm going to tell you the brutal, honest truth. And I'm going to tell you like, like how I feel. And like, and with this conversation with him, I was like, just think of it as like, if that was me, right? Like, me as your best friend, like if, if, if I was under somebody's knee and, and I got killed off of, a $20 bill. Like, do you think that's worth my life? Like, and I was like, and I, I know the answer to this because we were in a situation because we, we went somewhere and we was in college and we went to a party and we ran across several people, like several racist people. You can just tell that was just racist. But like, it was to the point where I was just like, look, it's more of y'all and it's less of me. Like the St. Louis in me want to kick all y'all ass, but I can't do it myself. So I'm just like, I'm just going to, you know, excuse myself from the situation. And then like, I, I like hear him and he's, he's going off on everybody. And I'm just like, bro, once again, two of us ain't going to be able to kill all these people. So like, <laughs> let's just keep, keep it moving. Like, I, I appreciate you taking up for me, like stepping out for me. And then like, I don't know, at the end of the night, Somebody else said some racist, and at that time I was drunk, so we got. I just beat his ass. I just couldn't take it no more. But um, he he was right there with me though. So like I know, like I know, like his passion just for like me in general. Like he he checked like his best friends, and I'm just like you know I respect that. So like I'm gonna tell you like where I'm coming from and why like our community is so hurt and why we so much in pain. And, and some people are exploding. Some people are losing. Some people like some people feel like this is the only way that that the world is going to actually pay attention to what's going on and i mean and it's sad to say it's true like like it it sucks that it had to come down to that because i mean you don't want like people that have like they live their whole life building the business and then one day it gets destroyed you don't want that like you want like i want to see people have peaceful peaceful protests but like like 
since all this happened, like even like when in St. Louis when it happened, like I feel like nobody really paid attention to it. It blew over, nothing happened. And it's just like now that it's happened again, and I feel like more of the world is actually contributing to this. Like they're like, oh shit, like we gotta do something before it gets too out of hand and we can't turn back. Right. So right. I mean just having conversations with him like that, like just kind of letting him understand like what how like what we're feeling from our side because like like I told him I was like you would never have to have this conversation with your kids like if you have this conversation with your kids it's going to be like like history like you educating your kids like why they should be you know pro everybody and not just one race like me I have to have a conversation with my kids like about possibly getting killed for something they didn't even do like having to watch out for things that they might think is fun or or they enjoy like you know hanging out with their friends and they go do stuff like like you just like it the conversations are just going to be different like it sucks that it has to be that way and hopefully one day it doesn't but like as of right now like that's something that you just have to prepare for and i mean i know i have some friends that like that i went to undergrad with that that went they lived in cities where it was like maybe like one black person in a city and like at that time when i was in undergrad like i had to explain to them like hey listen we cool but if we was at my house my friends would whoop your ass for saying that because it, right. it was borderline racist and they just don't like it, it's not totally their fault because it's a generation thing like but at the same time like we like always we have to educate them like on like like people that 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 don't understand like we have to just educate them on like you know like what like you got to pay attention to things that you say around people i mean it's like it sucks that we just know it just because you know i guess it's, uh, it's like two separate realities yeah we just understand it more like we 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 walk in uh precaution and they just like like some 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 people don't like and, and it's okay like I mean, it sucks for us that we do have, we have to be aware of everything at every single time. We just can't like live life to the fullest. Um, but like explaining that to him, like, like, Hey man, like you gotta just watch what you say. Cause like, if I take you to my house and my nigga friends, <laughs> you say that yeah, they're going to be, they're going to be a whole other level. Like I'm more calm and like, I've been through all that. Like, like I, I know how to watch like the things I'm saying, like I, I've grown basically. But like you just gotta, like you gotta be more aware of the things that you be saying because sometimes you know that ain't cool. Like, like, like you just can't just be saying the things you say and think you gonna slide and walk away with it because somebody gonna knock you out. I feel like, and I, you know, it's really funny because it's I I am I'm on the fence about a lot of things. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I have the energy and I can educate and I can explain to you why these things that you do are called microaggressions or they're prejudiced or it's shit that you're just not supposed to do. Sometimes I have that energy, but then other times I'm like, well, fuck, you got Google just like I got Google. Shit, look it up. (laughs) You're not like, fuck, why do I have to exert all of this fucking emotional energy and labor to tell you the shit that you should know? But it's hard to do that when it's people that you're close to. Like when it's people that you're close to and that you love, you want to educate them out of this sense of like, I'm going to protect you because you said this to me, but you say this to anybody else black and you're going to get fucked up. Like I allow this because I love you. Really, I shouldn't even allow it, but I do. It's fine. 
But then when you get outside of these people that you love, there's still this expectation sometimes of like emotional labor. It's like, well, a good example is I posted this thing. I was like, look, this is what it's like to be black in America. You just, you, it's just like you said, the ones like you cannot move through the world freely with caution to the wind. You got to worry about how you say things. If you're a man, you have to make sure you don't come off as too intimidating. And if you're a big man, you did this. If you're a bald man and you have a beard, you have to worry about this. If, it's like everything to walk through our lives, sometimes we have to shrink ourselves and we have to change ourselves so that we don't seem like we are a threat. And so I'm, I wrote this whole thing and it was just an opportunity for me to be like, just so y'all can see how sometimes it's just fucking tiring being black because we got to worry yeah. about y'all ass. It's just tiring. It's tired. Like it's you, exhausting. It's exhausting. Yeah. You worry about your black friends. Every time somebody get hurt, I think, oh my God, I hope Dewan's okay. I hope Jared's okay. I hope my cousin Donnell is okay. I hope Markel's okay. I think about every black man I know, every young black man I know, I'm like, God, I hope they're okay world is crazy like when my friends leave when my little cousins leave please be safe don't talk back do you have your id do you are you dirty do you have warrants like it's like all the shit that we have to worry about just to go through life and exist and i made this little post i took i put it up i was like i'm not and i wasn't saying that anybody was right for burning anything down i wasn't it wasn't i wasn't supporting anything i just said here's a little view of what it's like to be tired and to watch people die and to watch people on social media, just on social media over and over and over again, watching people die, seeing their last moments on social media. Everybody's watching it. Ain't nobody doing shit. And then y'all want to know why we want to burn shit to the ground. Right? So that was, (laughs) that was my post. 90% of people that responded to the post was like, fuck yeah, it's fucked up. We're sorry. Whatever. White people are terrible, whatever. But there were like, two or three people that are like, but how does that solve anything? Well, what about this? Well, what about black on black crime? Well, what about this? And what about that? And so you, it's like, it's hard to live in a place and get to a place of understanding where people, when people can't even bring themselves to just put themselves in your shoes. Like, I'm not asking for your opinion. I'm just saying, put yourself in our shoes for a second. And that's too uncomfortable. They can't even, it's so uncomfortable. They can't even be bothered to just think about what it would be like to be in this position. So how the fuck we gonna come to any kind of like common (laughs) conclusion or common, you know what I mean? Like y'all can't even take three minutes (laughs) and put yourself in our position. So it's like, sometimes I think that social media is great because it's like, fuck yeah, we're getting the word out. We're educating people. And then sometimes it's just another way it's just another reminder. It's like, oh yeah, we in this shit by ourselves. We it's still we still in this it's, shit. So it's pretty tough. It's tough. It's like I, I have this love-hate relationship with social media because without it, you know, there'll still be people in this world that's like, that's still happening. That's still going mm-hmm. on. That's still racism still exists. But then on the other hand, I got people sending me, you know, sending me like articles like how to support your black friend. Like, say, like, send me articles. You know, I got a couple of those and I didn't get it. Um, two times I got, somebody said, I read this and I wanted you to read it. Um, I hope you're doing okay. And they're genuine people. Right. 
but they sent me an article that says your black friend is not okay. And I'm like, this ain't for me. This is for you. This is for you. <laughs> an article about me not knowing that I'm okay. Cause I know I'm not okay. Like, um, you know, it, that's almost like, you know, if you got a divorce and me sitting like new singles after divorce. <laughs> I'm like that's I know I just got divorced you know I mean the same thing I was getting like I said their intentions were true but that's how much they don't think from a box right um and I think we used to talk about this at when we used to work together you know there's there are some genuine people but no matter what they're still white and it never crosses their mind to have to think that way that this comes off like you said as a microaggression or um something you shouldn't say you know like we used to have a co-worker we all had a co-worker and she used to say bye felicia every day you know <laughs> every day none of us personally took it offensive like none of us are offended to it by it at all she didn't mean anything malice but her assimilation was like totally unnecessary you could just say bye you know what i mean right. like you, and you she said it with a little voice too I was yeah, like, what so, are you doing? You know, it, it, so it's the same thing. Like, you know, you said, Nikki, you had those conversations and Dewan, you had that conversation. I actually did have a old coworker, two of them last week that said like, hey, what can I do? I want to learn. And that was, it was almost threw me off, but I didn't want to not say, I'm so upset. I can't help you. So I took the chance to sit down with one for about four hours, but it was like two hours was just about racism. The other two were about like life and, she's kind of got through a lot of crap. Um, and so just, but just, you know, trying to re unravel her mind about why she would say stuff, you know, uh, you know, the, you know, the whole looting thing, like, Oh, you know, I think the death is terrible, but, and I'm like, all right, anytime in the English language you say, but you are rebuttaling <laughs> what you're trying to say. So if you just put this in a context, you are backing up your statement with something that you don't agree with. Right. Or you just said you agree with something. So you just have to look how you put that in context. And she just didn't even think about it. And so it was just, it was just reconditioning their minds because like you said, they have never wanted to recondition their minds. They've right. never had the opportunity to have to put themselves in another person's shoes. And I also told her about code switching. And I'm like, look, black people go to work every day having to put themselves and what would a white person do shoes right. <laughs> could understand that they that I'm not, you know, like Dewan, shoot, they could look at your thing on a, your name on a um on a what's it called on an application and be like, nah, that's too niggery. Right. Um, Nikki, your your government name. Yeah, nah, that's too much. For that's me why too. it's not on any resume. My full so, name. Like, you know, like nope. you know, when they hear Jared, they don't think of nothing. But I think if they're pretty smart. My last name. Yeah, your last name. <laughs> post-slave <laughs> black name. So it's like, ah. Uh, but like, those are the things that they've never had to think about. They've yeah. never touched those echelons of things. And it's it's going to take so much longer than we think um, to actually have to get to that place. But I, I am somewhat gratifying that people are trying to do this stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, but it's also equally defeating. Because like I said, we'll never try. Right. There are people who will just smother this underneath the you know smother this underneath their feelings and they'll just keep going. It, right. it doesn't have to um, impact them. So it's, it's a very hard. It's just tiring. I'm tired. 
I'm tired. Like the emotional labor, the emotional, I've been calling it white people fatigue. And it's really hard for me because I have a lot of white friends. I'm dating a white person. Like, but sometimes I'm just like, you will never get it. And because you will never get it, I just need time around people that get it. And that's the only way I can explain it to you. Like, I, I am tired. I'm tired of holding on to your guilt. I'm tired of educating you. I'm tired of explaining to you the 85th time why my hair looks different this week. Like, and it's just, it's tiny little shit like that. Like, why? It's like, I'm tired of having to explain these things to you. And it's not all the time, but sometimes I'm just like, I am white out. I'm whited out. Like, I just, I just need to be around some niggas doing some nigger stuff. Like, I just, because it's like, just having conversations, I can see them tired. Having a two-hour conversation about racism and how I can help and how I can support. I can see you're exhausted and you're crying. Now I got to be responsible for your crying. Why are you crying? Like, like it's just, it's like, what the fuck are you crying for? Like, we're talking about me and my people getting killed all the time. Why are you like? Yes, it's a terrible thing. Welcome to the conversation. Like, it, it's 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 exhausting. I'm exhausted and. I want to help. And I love that people want to learn. I love that. I love that, that, that there are so many people that are just appalled and they want to help and they want to do things, but also I do not want to hold your hand. I don't want to do it. I don't have the, I don't have the bandwidth to hold your hand. COVID is happening. People are dying. <laughs> like, like I can, it's hard to get out of bed some days. I don't have time to deal right, with right. your there's, shit. There's, there's a lot, you know, life is like, still going. Life is still going. And y'all, now y'all want to worry about racism? Like, you know, <laughs> like, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. And then it's, you know, the double down on the social media. Social media is so hard. You know, I've had to tell several of my friends to just back away. They're going to lose their jobs yelling at people on social media. Yeah. They cussing everybody out. Yeah. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And then it's just emotionally draining them, trying to report people for being racist and calling out people for being racist and and doing that. And, 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 you know, just kind of like bigot witch hunting them you know what i mean like going around trying to bigot witch hunt them it it, it is it is pretty tough and um you know to kind of backpedal one of my favorite comedians um based on the fact that he does great political analysis is chris rock and oh my god my favorite um stand-up of his is bigger and blacker and yep. And he says this pointedly. He was like, look, he's, he was, you know, he was like a couple white folks at my show. And he was like, thank you. You come to my show. You good with me. But he's like, ain't none of y'all white folks who want to be like me. Not none of y'all. And, and, you know, it got quiet. And he was like, he's like, what's messed up about it is none of y'all would ever want to switch places with me. And I'm rich. And, <laughs> and everybody laughed because it's true. Like you it's would true. rather be a poor white person than be a black person Yep, any day. And I don't think you could ask anybody and they would say different unless they have a real grip on mm-hmm. black culture. Like they have grew up around black people or have this profound thinking and appreciation for black people there. In most cases, you, you know, you find the average Joe down the street and you, would you be black for 
ten million dollars, and they'd be like, "Yeah, how long? Yeah. <laughs> how long? Yeah. How long we got? How long <laughs> for like thirty-five minutes? I'll be black yeah, for ten million, maybe for a year. Or I mean, you know, am I going to Minnesota? Do I like, get across? <laughs> what 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 side of town do I live on? Exactly. Now, how, how do y'all feel about? There's two things I absolutely want to talk about, so I want to get them out before we run out of time. How do y'all feel about the looting? Uh, I, I honestly feel like like the people that are looting, I think they're just taking advantage of what is actually trying to go on. Um, like, like it, like it's to the point where it's like you you are looting, and you're like if everybody was peacefully protesting about it. Like, I feel like it would get across, I mean, probably not as, as fast, but it'll get across um, smoother. Like, because right now, like, looting, like, in other people's eyes, especially the people that aren't educated about it, they're looking at it as, see, that's that's what we're talking about right there. And it's like, and it's us that's like the people that's that actually want a piece of protest to, like, damn y'all really fucking this up right now like just like just do what y'all supposed to do and i know some some looting starts from like being provoked but like like i don't know it's it's a it's a distraction like it's it's pulling away from the whole cause of everything like i i don't agree with it personally um but like i say i don't agree with it but i understand where it where it's coming from like i understand like i said like i said it earlier like i know it's because they to others it seems like this is the only way that they're going to actually pay attention to me mm-hmm. like if i destroy 47 million dollars worth of property like this is the only way people are going to be like all right let's drop you know the civil act rights <laughs> because you know this is the only we got to stop this from going on but I mean, I disagree with it. Like, I just think it's putting more people at harm and it's destroying, like, for, for like, where I'm from, it's destroying more Black communities than it is helping them, like, looting. So it's just like, like, why would you even, like, destroy the places that we are trying to, like, we trying to get our foot in the door and building up stores and getting, uh, like, properties and stuff. Like, you just basically make us take a, a step back if we actually are trying to grow in that like in that uh, area but mm, i think it's definitely should stop like for sure but okay jerry what do you yeah i i personally don't um i personally despise stealing uh you know you guys have worked with me i tell like the most ridiculous stories but i literally got beat so bad for stealing f5 that stealing, <laughs> like, you know, there, there, is, and if there, were, if you could rank top ten deadly sins, you know, stealing is like number two, maybe behind killing or something like mm-hmm. that, right? Um, like you, you just, you know, I'm not a big fan of stealing at all. Um, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm very okay with you can't tell people how to protest, right? Um, though, uh, so. I understand. I personally might have had a slight little Tiger Woods Jordan fist pump when they burned down that police station. 
but I <laughs> wasn't necessarily for it because again, that's my city burning. Mm-hmm. Like that was not like what I wanted to be. I knew that I would have more white people that I would felt like were my friends be on my side about the fact that this was tragic if there was not as much damage. But right. I don't think it would have actually resonated if people were not fucking shit up right now. Right. Or we'll yeah. not, not say right now, because I don't think anybody's really fucking shit up. Um, I think there are people who are ready to riot, and there are people who are ready to be physical, and then I think there's peaceful protesting. And I feel like peaceful protesting essentially never really worked, and I'm going to explain. So the big thing was that especially recently, I don't know if you two have personally done it, but if a white person draws up a Martin Luther King quote, niggas was on their head. Do it like Martin Luther King. We're like, first of all, okay, Martin, and they were like, well, Martin Luther King did it peaceful. And I'm like, look, Martin Luther King convinced every person that was really with him to not attack back. And the reason why is because the cameras can see when they got the dog sicked on them, the water hose turned on them. They got beaten by the cops. They got thrown into jail several times. They got plundered. Race riots started in their neighborhood and people burned their shit down. That's when the world actually saw that, well, the black people weren't even trying to be physical. They were just trying to say something, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That is what happened. And that's what people forget. People forget Martin, not just y'all killed him too, but y'all forget Martin Luther King died trying to say we will be peaceful to show you how mean or how cruel you really are. Right. He literally just convinced thousands of people to walk across a bridge where they end up gassing and, you know, and shooting and plundering and killing several people on camera. Then people were like, wow, that's just kind of bad. Right. So peaceful protests never really brought anything without major death. You can see it. Tiananmen Square. Um, Gandhi, uh, I can't remember the square, but Gandhi, when all those Indians got killed, peaceful protest was a way of showing that people were not going to fire back and that innocent people were just slain because people were so callous and so uh, insanely getting off on the fact that they want to be over someone. Right. And the thing is, they can't kill people, right? They can't take out squares of George Floyd's. They have to kill one George Floyd slowly at a time, a couple years apart, kind of get around the whole shebang of it, right? Um, if you ask me, you know, four days ago, I still think that the other three officers were going to get off pretty lenient or get off. And the reason is it's just hard to convict the police. But you look at it today, this is 12th, 13th day of protests, you know, it's bad. You're, they're looking naturally like, okay, now we got to do something. Right. We got to either quell this somehow. And the thing is, it all could have been done on the first day. If they had just brought them in, nobody would have looted. Right. Nobody, people would have marched, but nobody would have broke stuff. Right. You know, and the and the reason why the looting doesn't make sense to me, like, what is Atlanta looting for? <laughs> why are you looting the high-end malls for Gucci and Louis Vuitton? There, yeah. you know, why is Phoenix, Arizona looting? There are Look. no, there are no niggas there. Okay. <laughs> you know, I have, a, I have a friend in Chicago and she said they were looting so bad they started looting their own neighborhoods. Like Dewan said, 
they ransacked a grocery store to the point where they, I mean, you probably couldn't find a loaf of bread in that place. See, I- they literally ransacked it. That was the closest pharmacy for about three miles for old folks, everything. Um, you know, and like they do structurally, there are a lot of black neighborhoods and communities that do not have grocery stores, right? Because they either can't functionally survive or they shut them down or Mm -hmm. that's how they get it. Um, That's how they kind of segregate the city. That's literally, you know, the sad part that people have to suffer from that. And that's why I'm not with looting and stealing at all. It doesn't make sense. Now, if you have some people that want to flip a cop card too, and they mad, I might not be the maddest person about that. Right. But I'm not really you know, I'm not into the stealing and the and the burning down blocks. Uh, I went out to the east side the other day, and they had everything boarded up. I'm like, don't nobody want to burn this down? This is the east side, <laughs> you know, like the new east side. This is the new east side. Y'all don't ain't nobody gonna burn this down. We want to go to the bars afterwards. You right. know what I mean? Like nobody's gonna burn down the body crown. Come on now, like why are you bored? They better not. Um, no, I know that's your favorite. Um, so yeah. I feel like I am. I I go back and forth. Part of me is like, because I agree, peaceful protests don't do anything except shine a light on, like, here is what you're capable of. Here is what you, this is what we're talking about. And so that, I feel, okay, that works. I, I think there is a huge part of me that's like, burn this motherfucker down. Anything that's not Black owned, burn it down. You want to burn Walmart down? Burn that shit to the ground. They are the third richest family in the fucking world. Burn it down. They can build some more, which is what they've they've been making money off of black folks for years. Burn it down. Uh, burn down the police station. Like, so there's definitely a part of me that's like, fuck it. The only way we can get your attention is to hit you in your pockets. There's definitely a part of me that feels that way. But another part of me is like, why are you looting a hair store? Like if you're, if you're going to loot, if you're going to loot, then why wouldn't you loot somewhere that's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go and loot this Walmart. I'm going to get pampers. I'm going to get diapers. I'm going to get baby food. I'm going to get all this stuff. I'm going to give it to someone that like, if you, I just feel like when you're looting for the sake of just stealing TVs and hair and you driving, you, the protests downtown, you driving to the domain and looting the forever 21, what the fuck that got to do with what we fighting about? You just want some new clothes. Like I, it's like, you, I feel like you can't, you cannot do rioting and looting without leadership. And I know that sounds crazy, but like there has to be leadership to say, okay, here's our focus. Here is our goal. What we are trying to do is this. These are the places that you stay away from. These are the people that you don't touch. Because at this point, you don't ruin two black businesses in Austin just because y'all stealing shit because y'all want it. There's no focus. There's no right. focus. There's no goal. And I think that comes from not having leadership. We, this ain't the, like, you know, in the civil rights, there was Black Panthers and there was there are people that was like, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to, this is how we're going to get it done. This is what we're going to do. Burn this down. Don't burn that down. And I know that sounds silly, but I think that that's the only way that you can successfully riot is if you have a voice or voices to lead in a way that makes it um, mean something. 
and makes it for the right reason. And because we don't have that voice, we don't have somebody that's like, here's how we, here's how we change qualified immunity. We're just going to keep burning shit down until they get rid of qualified immunity. And this is what that looks like. There, there has to be a purpose and, a, and just anger is not a good enough purpose. Cause you're going to, you lose your audience. You lose who you're talking to. You angry and you want to steal from forever 21. That doesn't make sense to me. Right. <laughs> that doesn't make, that don't make sense. That doesn't make yeah. sense. Where is I, your, yeah. That's why I said, I there's don't know purpose. We're in it. Yeah. There's no purpose um, behind that. There's yeah. no purpose. So that's the only thing I just wish we had a little, I wish we had some strong leadership to like focus that, to focus that energy and we don't have it. So, so you know, I'm always on the fence just because I like chaos sometimes. So I'm just like, fuck it, <laughs> burn it down. Your shit, it ain't mine. But <laughs> that's not, that is not definitely not the answer. Um, so the last thing I wanted to talk to you guys about really quickly um, is uh, Drew Brees. Um, because, <laughs> you know, I know that the two of you <laughs> are super, super into sports. And also, you know, football is a big part you know, like it or not, I know a lot of people hate it, but football is a big part of the black community. I grew up loving football, like, and I'm a chick, like that, that's just what you do. Football is what you do. Black people love it. I think ever since Colin Kaepernick started things, it has soured me a little bit on football. You know what I mean? It's kind of made me look at things suspect because they keep trying to like focus shit, shift focus to the damn flag and they got nothing to do with the flag. But Drew Brees, that just broke my little heart this week. And so I want to know what y'all think about it. Cause my little heart is broken. I can't like him no more. I mean, I honestly was super disappointed about it. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, when I, when I was listening to it, I was like, Oh, Drew Brees is like the scholar of all scholars. Like why, why can't he just understand the situation? But then I think, I think like I was talking to uh, Sylvia and I was just like, I feel like, the people that know him, if they accept his apology, like, I feel like it's, it's, it'd be wrong for like me, myself, not to accept his apology because they know him on a different level than I know. They know, like, they know like his ins and outs, like what he do. And that, and that's kind of like the same situation, like with one of my good friends, like, like he didn't say those exact words, but like his wording kind of like, like fenced around that so it's like if 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 drew Brees is like one of my best friends and he says something like that i'm like dude i'm disappointed like let me tell you where like you dropped the ball and like where your understanding just kind of just like why everybody hates you now <laughs> like it'd be wrong and then at the same time like i think just like growing spiritually i'm just like i i I just can't like just hate somebody for something like that. Like, cause doing the same thing that somebody do to me don't make it a right. So it's just like long as, I mean, I don't think his apology was like, I wouldn't say it wasn't real. Cause I, I mean, I, I'm sure he feels it now, but I feel like if people wasn't on his head and I feel like if he had said it in a different timing than right now, like it wouldn't be so big of a deal, like to the media that is. Like I feel like it, it wouldn't have jumped off like this if he'd have said this at the time when Callan Kaepernick was actually kneeling, or like four months from now when the NFL starts back up. Or I don't even know if it's four months, but whenever they start up. But I don't know. Like I, 
like I was super disappointed and I was like, dang, Drew Brees, you didn't just dropped it. Like now you're about to get booed. People are gonna try to burn down your house. <laughs> like it, it, it was definitely shocking because I like I feel like most of the times I saw him kneeling, like with with the team. So I would expect he understood what was going on already. I mean, unless he was just doing it for you know, you know why he was doing that. He did that shit. Because they told him, let's look like we solid. The same reason Jerry Jones kneeled. I, you know what? You are the good Christian of the group. <laughs> I, I won't say I'm the most heathenist, but he did. He is backtracking because it is messing with his legacy. Drew Brees' legacy. So that right now, New Orleans has a roster that has a very good chance to make the Super Bowl. So. He is only backtracking so hard because he lost his team. Because his team is full of niggas. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I believe I didn't do the research, but I believe every one of his linemen are black. <laughs> right? His top receiver is black. Mm-hmm. Tight end is black. The only person that's white on that offense is Taysom Hill. Okay. Alvin Kamara is like nigga, nigga black. He plays with golds in his mouth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you said the mom is Nigerian. He he, like you know, his whole team is black until maybe you hit the defense and the special teams. Um, so he literally did that because his PR team and probably Sean Payton and their PR team said, "Look, you got a backpedal. You are separating the team by saying this." And the reason why I'm so unforgiving is because he said what he said. Right, he meant every word of that. To this day, he probably still thinks that a protest at the national anthem is offending his grandfather or the flag. A flag that has been made, you know, with people who own slaves, who people who won the Revolutionary War with slaves. All the stuff that he just chose to glaze over. Mind you, he's an Austinite. So we know he's had these, he's a Westlake Austinite. He has had the richness of life. He's never had to struggle. So he said what he said. I think he's backpedaling because he wants to win the Super Bowl. His team is going to forgive him because, unfortunately, the game is about winning. Okay? These guys get paid also if they win Super Bowls, right? Their best chance is literally Drew Brees. Literally, Mm -hmm. right? You think Jameis Winston going to come in there squinting and get them the team? Nah. That ain't going to happen. So they are, he backpedals so hard. Then his PR team try to double down on the Trump thing. And it's so poetic that white people hate him now because he was like, Mr. Trump, it's our fault. We are the ones. I just looked at a, at a, at an article and his wife is hitting up Instagram talking about, we are the problem. Okay. You know, so it is very interesting that the PR team has taken it to this extreme. Because the thing is, he could have kept his white friends if he if he didn't <laughs> backpedal just that far. But, I mean, like I said, his team is black, and he wants to win the Super Bowl. And that's why I says mess up his legacy. He gets that second Super Bowl, he's up there with the greats. He's going to be top five passing, top five completions, top five everything, and two Super Bowls, which puts him past a lot of people. So I agree. That is why he's saving that. So it's it's yeah. very disappointing because he could have just been quiet. He shit the bed. He, he shit the bed. 
Like you work for, you work for a fucking team that from a city that is predominantly black, not just black, but poor black people with raging violence, like terrible policing. Like you play for New Orleans. Like what the like, I feel like those words just put everybody and his family in danger. Yeah, like you should you shit the bed. You shut up and stick to what you know. Like this is what I'm saying. Like this whole idea that kneeling has something to do with the flag is what pisses me off. The two things are completely separate, but because one person decided that it was some like it, one person decided that it was disrespectful. And now everybody, every white person thinks it's disrespectful. They didn't even start coming out on the field during the national anthem until 2009. And they acting like this is some shit that they've been doing forever. And wasn't it a white man's idea for him, Neil? A a white vet? A white vet was like... Um, So yeah, so the guy, Colin Kaepernick was sitting down on the bench and he said, and it was a veteran, and he said, hey man, and I believe he played in it if I said, hey, this would be a better example to be observing the national anthem, but make a protest. And he was okay with it. Right. Right. Um, and you know, the, like the ones that Jerry Jones, kneeled, they did that as a solidarity because they didn't want to openly say, we hate this nigga shit. Right. Right. But if you look at it, the NFL backtracked. Oh, we got it wrong. Y'all just mad because 70% of the league is willing to walk away from you exactly. because y'all are bigots. Now you just saved your billion dollar, multi-billion dollar broadcasting contract when you might lose public attendance for the whole season. Like, right? So they can't lose everything. It's all about money. It's all about, all about, money. about legacy. It's all about money. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, Jerry Jones is still very racist, still runs a slavery camp. So, so racist. That. Uh, at the end of the day, Dupree still believes that the flag is the most beautiful thing in the world. And, it, you know, if he believes, you know, he could probably go to any military camp and say, you are the greatest and they would love him and he can make money off of that the rest of his life. Oh, my God. I, so, I that that the national anthem, second of all is the most racist bullshit ever. like the whole song if you listen to all of the lyrics it's so wrong it's just it is a racist song it should be just be like oh slave 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 we love our slaves nigga <laughs> nigga nigga slaves like it's just a fucking stupid song i don't understand why everybody is all of a sudden so goddamn attached to it like and you know if you even told drew Brees that the second and third stanza referred to slavery he wouldn't believe you that's how ingrained in his mind exactly he believes that it's just so disrespectful and you know at the the end of the day you know colin kaepernick will never play football again he is a martyr for his career being over he will never play football again Right. He will just be a political activist speech, you know, and, and that's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to play football too, Drew Brees. Right. But you had too many people who shunned him out. Right. Right. They needed a Drew Brees to talk against it. They needed those announcers to talk against it. And I guarantee you the first week of NFL, they go, oh, we were so wrong. We didn't get it. And the only person that's going to be right is Shannon Sharp. I'm mad at the NFL. I'm mad. I'm just mad. Okay. I, I personally do find that is, you know, Dewan's forgive. He's forgiven. So I mean, he, he, he's he's reconciled his relationship. I personally 
would probably feel really bad inside if I couldn't watch football. Like that is just, I grew up, that's probably my first love, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, the thing is like, I ain't friends with Drew Brees. So like me, <laughs> put, me putting like the, the stress on my mind about it is just like, you know, hey man, you got to live your life with the people that you do call your friends. Like, so it's just like, I forgive you. I ain't the person that you got to be afraid of. It's going to be other people that that's diehard New Orleans fans that's going to be like, watch yourself. Like, I ain't me and Drew Brees. I don't know Drew Brees personally, so I can't really, I can't really, you know, feel any type of way. Like, he do what he got to do. Like, he, he'll understand now if he didn't understand before. That's, that's the save, that's the saved. That's a save the one talking. That's 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 Jesus talking through you. I appreciate it. You you big saved. I'm out here <laughs> with the devil. I went to church today on the stream, but I'm toting the line about the now, I don't personally hate him and I don't think he's racist. I just think that he's one of those people that will find an excuse to perpetuate what other people will say. Exactly. Exactly. You know, he, he believes what he said. And all, and what he doesn't understand is that perpetuates the fact that people can shun a protest and a peaceful protest. Like, right? He didn't get out. There. What if Colin Kaepernick went out there and just started doing some, you know, just started lighting shit on fire, lighting shit on fire, lighting a flag on fire, any of that stuff? Like, he never did any of that, right? Uh, so, I mean, you know, it's 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 personally okay. Yeah, I don't have any personal anguish. But I do think he should probably not be an announcer after he's done with his career next year. I I personally think they shouldn't have anybody who who does that because you don't know what they're going to be responsible for saying on the air. Exactly. Before we go, I wanted to ask the two of you, like, how are you holding on to your sanity during times like this like what what is what is the I know this like a buzzword I know self-care is a buzzword but like how are you as a black man in America doing these times how are you how are you what is your self-care routine how are you taking care of yourself I mean I think like both of you said like like I've been like I've been trying to get better spiritually so like I guess like listening I think the thing that calmed me down the most was like reading more devotionals and like listening to other pastors kind of feel the same way like that I'm feeling so like listening for like their advice and then honestly just getting out more like in the nature like being outside like right now like like a mountain view right here like just getting on the lake and just kind of being by myself getting away stepping away from negativity and trying to like ease a little bit of like joy and positivity back into your life you know being around your loved ones being around your friends uh, I think that's the probably the biggest thing that's been keeping me sane out of like not wanting to go punch somebody in the face but (laughs) but I think I think that's for me that's my biggest one like just kind of being in nature being around friends and being around family like talking to people that I know that really loves me and that will look out for me no matter what. Jared, what about you? Um, you know, I, you know, despite the COVID situation, I have had to go to work every day. Uh, essentially they cut our hours. So there might've been days that I was off or we closed some Fridays, but we're getting busy. again. So I never really had a time to be off. 
Um, I can't go out and protest because it is my duty to keep my patients safe. So I can't go out and get ronified in a crowd. You know, <laughs> I have to do my protesting another way. But ironically, uh, my father is a career corporate diversity and inclusion uh, man. He's worked for a couple of companies and I feel like I've found uh, a new calling. And I feel like um, based off of some bad reactions that I heard from some of our leadership at my current company um, that I want to get more involved in structuring diversity and inclusion. So, yeah. you know, my first thing is to type uh, to basically to reply to what was stated and um, try to get on some task force or create the task force for people of color in my company to have outlets and resource groups and construct that and essentially take that portfolio and build off of that and providing smaller companies or other healthcare companies with these kind of things and looking at their policies and looking at the recruiting methods and helping them improve that to, to, to go around the structure of the, what the company's demographics are, um, whether it's the city demographics or who they serve. Um, so I've, basically channeling my anger into a new niche of, you know, trying to improve the diversity and inclusion of people in the workforce, you know, healthcare disparities and healthcare, the field itself. So. I love that. I love that. I've been talking to my mom about that too. Just like trying to, because the job that I just left, um, I was one of three black people or four black people there. Um, you left your job again? Oh, that's a whole. Oh, I I didn't tell you. Well, no. so well. Uh, she told you. No, I didn't tell oh. nobody. So, uh, um, I was terminated because I was not a good fit, and the reason that I was not a good fit is because um, uh, I got a big mouth, and some of the stuff that they do and say were inappropriate, and I didn't like it, and I let people know that I didn't like it, and I didn't buy into the we're a corporation, we're a family, so we should just love each other regardless. I was like, nah, man, you can't say stuff like, you know, my friend is moving his kid out of the schools in Lago Vista because the Hispanics are moving in, and let me be okay with that. You can't say that. So every, so every time something was said, I was like, uh, you can't, you can't, you can't say that. That's you can't say that. Nobody gonna say nothing about the fact you can't say that. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> I, I was just, <laughs> I was a little too loud for my own good. It's fine. It's fine. I knew it was coming. So it's good. It's fine. And also, I, I mean, I don't care. I should care, but I don't. Like I have, I have other stuff on my mind, so I should be way more sad about it. But I'm just like, eh, mm, I don't care. I'll figure it out. How are you channeling your your uh your anger? Because I cut you off because I just didn't know you. Quit oh time. oh yeah. So that's, that's yes. So I've been channeling my anger with um just like trying to figure out a way that I can educate people in ways that won't exhaust me. Right. So like helping people, like when you hire people, this is what you do. This is what you, this is what you should look for. This is like, so Natasha Harper Madison is our city council member for district one. And she just had to be on this like three hour call with all other white city council members talking about 
what's happening in police brutality in Austin. She was the only black person doing all this work. So I posted on Facebook and I was like, she's doing a lot of work for us. So what are we going to do for her? And I just like to use, I like that. I like to use whatever little voice I have to be like, okay, great. This person's in the community working her butt off. What are we going to do? How are we going to help? How are we going to make things better? So it's a little bit more militant than what you said. I don't know. I don't know. A little bit more attitude, but like, what are we doing to help? We sitting around talking about what people aren't doing for us. What are we doing? That's kind of where I am. That's cool. Everybody's going to have their own lane. So yeah, I feel that. Yeah. So I want to thank you guys for coming because I know we're about to lose Duan in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank you guys for coming. I want to thank Dewan and Jared for being on with me today. Thank everybody for listening. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Nikki Devon. You can support me and my work on patreon.com. The link is in the show notes. Make sure you subscribe so you never, ever miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show, leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell me a little bit about why you think I'm awesome. Uh, this has been Fat and Black in Texas. My name is Nikki Devon, and you are fucking awesome. <laughs>